0: Where is my guest? Let's try again. Yes, everything is fine. Hey, eh, Puja, what's
1: up? Hey, finally!
0: Yay, and we have our guest. Thank you, Harsh.
1: Sorry, I've been trying to join, but I'm not so good with the tech.
0: <laughs> You're not so good with the tech. I don't know what's going to happen to the rest of us. Okay, so let's kickstart this right away. So, hi everyone! Super excited to have you all here. So as most of you know, my name is Dibha Kagzi, and I'm the founder and chief education officer at BeachID.com. And we're kickstarting this series. Uh, We've called it the House of Experts, because we're going to invite experts from different domains every week to talk about their lives, their careers. We found that when we speak to lots of parents and students, um, they're quite confused. There's a whole plethora of career options available now. And given the choices, students are quite confused. And we thought the best way to help them would be to invite experts like Harsh on and uh, give a little dose of inspiration to those of us who need it. So thank you for joining us.
1: Sure. Um, A
0: little bit of background on Harsh. Most of you know him. Most of you are already on Dream 11, Um, but just some background. So as you all know, Harsh is a man of immense grit and determination. Um, He's actually one of those few people I know who took his passion for sports and converted it into a very successful and thriving business. So who said work and play need to be separate? Harsh managed to unite work and play and he's going to tell us how. Dream11 is India's largest fantasy sports platform. They have over 8 crore uh, users on their platform and they're very well known for fantasy cricket as well as football, kabaddi, basketball. Hockey and volleyball. So, for all you sports enthusiasts, please definitely form your teams on Dream 11 and Hush will tell you guys how. Um, I've also had the very good fortune of working with Hush uh, at least on his applications for his MBA and we'll talk a little bit about the MBA and how that helped him as well. So, let's jump right into it, Hush. Let's start with your early years. So, what were you like as a child?
1: Um, naughty. Naughty. Okay definitely not like super academic oriented okay. and um, you know i used to be into sports and games the whole time and um, i guess that was a big worry for my mom that all the time into sports and games and i just figured over time i was lucky enough to be able to convert some of that sports and games into a career okay
0: awesome so you were naughty and always played sports. So for all those students out there who are busy playing sports, there's still hope they could be running unicorns at some point as well. So what happened? How did the transition happen from sports to you going to study engineering? Engineering is a pretty serious degree, right? So how did that happen?
1: So I I guess I was also like kind of practically driven, right? So uh, call it the Indian upbringing or whatever you want to or the Marwadi kind of mindset, family business mindset. I always thought I wanted to do business, right? And so, but the one thing I knew was that I wanted to pursue sports and engineering, and I was always good at math and physics. And so that's something I wanted to pursue, to study more. If I had a choice on what to study, it would at least be math or physics. And then um, I knew that I had three choices, right? One one was to kind of... um, go down the engineering route right now and then do business later. Mm -hmm. Um, One was to do business first and engineering later. And the other one was to do something completely different like arts or economics or something else. And I just figured out that um, taking advice from some of my cousins who went abroad that they had sound advice that you can do engineering first and business later but not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so that choice kind of chose me.
0: Okay, makes sense. Because once you've got that foundation in engineering, you can always top it up with a business degree.
1: Then that's not exactly, yeah, that's exactly what I did. So once I did my engineering, mm-hmm. I always knew that at some point later, I want to go back for an MBA.
0: Okay, so you knew that was coming up.
1: Yeah, at some point I wanted to do it. But when, how, why? I had no idea.
0: Okay. And what led you to starting a company in this sector? So what firstly, what is fantasy sports for some of us who are uninitiated what are fantasy sports and what made you get into the
1: sector so fantasy sports you know i started playing fantasy sports when i went to the uk for high school and so that was in 2001 so i've been playing fantasy sports for about 20 years now okay so you were a player yourself fine yeah so i was like a maniac fantasy sports maniac like um all humility aside i place in the like Top one percent of fantasy football players worldwide every year on EPL. Oh wow! Okay. And so, like, I'm like die hard fantasy football player. Okay. And okay. that's when, when IPL launched. I had just moved back from UPEN after engineering in 2007, and IPL was launching 2008. Okay. And so I went looking for fantasy cricket, and there was none, and it didn't exist in India really. And so I was like, this is crazy. of sports fans in the US play fantasy sports. Mm -hmm. And India with like a billion sports fans didn't have fantasy sports, fantasy cricket. So it was one of those things that just ate at me and like, you know, I went to sleep thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it and I couldn't get myself to stop thinking about it. And that's when I knew that this is a problem I just have to solve. And I also said, let me put my engineering degree to some use at least, right?
0: Okay. So it was a combination of engineering skill set, you being an avid player yourself, and you struck struck upon an opportunity that did not exist. So, sort of this confluence of three big factors. Okay, guys, I'm going to open up for questions as well. Hi, good to see you. Hi, Vinita. Hi, everyone. I'm going to go on with the questions, and at some point, I will open up for questions as well. Okay, so, you found this opportunity, and you jumped right in. Um, What do you think... Has been your know, hallmark for success. What goes into becoming an a, a strong entrepreneur? You know, so if you were going to tell some of us, like you know, three key ingredients for becoming an
1: entrepreneur, what would they be? I think um, first of all, I don't think there's like a chemical. It's not like a chemical reaction where you can put in A, B, C and it will end up. With, it yeah. just has to be like you have to be super passionate about an idea. Like you have to like literally be willing to go to any extent to solve that problem. It has to like really be part of your core DNA to solve that problem. It can't be that, oh, food delivery is doing well, so let me try something in food delivery. E-commerce is doing well, let me try something in that, right? Hmm. You need to be solving a problem. You can't go into, I don't think you can jump in as an entrepreneur trying to catch a wave. It has to be a very core problem that you want to solve, ideally in a very large market. Okay. Like sports in India, right? It's a huge market. Mm-hmm. The second part I would say is that your commitment to making it happen, right? So A, you have to like have that as part of your core DNA to solve the problem. B is you have to have that perseverance to know that it takes at least five years before anything starts working. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So there's almost no big entrepreneur company I've seen whether you take Amazon or Flipkart or Ola or any of these companies even Oyo right everyone goes through the five years of crap right and then really you keep pivoting keep adapting keep going at it mm-hmm. where everyone else thinks you're crazy and then you actually but you get probably
0: are, have to be a little bit of crazy you, you have to be, be a little crazy as well. yeah
1: otherwise everyone would be a successful entrepreneur and um, I think the third thing is that focusing on the execution. Okay. A lot of people think it's about the idea. Mm. It's not about the idea. Like, tell me the last idea that was a, a
0: large break. company in
1: India, right? Mm. Flipkart, e-commerce from Amazon, right? Yeah. Sure. Ola, Uber. Right. Oyo, Airbnb. Yeah. Um, you can literally buy you like edu. Edu learning has been there for years, right? It's just the the execution of the idea to that local market, hmm. like how Flipkart came up with cash on delivery for the first time. The execution of the idea is really the key, not the idea by itself.
0: So we have a question from Vinita saying, you know, what made you stick in this? So, you know, the, the field was completely untapped and you said yeah. you got to play the game. So what yeah. made you stick to course?
1: Yeah, it's it's not easy. It's uh, it's it's really hard when people come to you year after year, say, how's it going? And you're like, well, they're just stuck, right? Most entrepreneurs are stuck for five years. There's very little to show. Mm-hmm. But that's where the perseverance and that belief that this is a large market and this is a problem that you will solve mm-hmm. just comes into play. A lot actually goes into family, right? The people you have around you, family and friends. Mm -hmm. Because if, if, you know, you come home to a wife or to parents or to brothers and sisters or whatever family, who keeps questioning what you're doing, then Mm -hmm. it starts eating at you,
0: right? But if
1: you come back to a system, come back to an ecosystem which says, keep going, we believe in you, Mm -hmm. don't worry, we we have your back, that really helps. Because the rest of the world is like, what the hell are you doing?
0: Sure. And having personally interacted with your wife, Rachna, I know that she's a yeah. staunch supporter and an absolutely admirable woman.
1: Yeah, a huge, in a huge way. She she was one of the people that really pushed me to say that, you know, do something by yourself, right? Yeah. Um, like, because a lot of people don't realize that if you have a family business, mm-hmm. you can always go back to that. Right. So it's not like, like if you try something today and fail, A lot of other people who don't have family businesses and I'm assuming that a lot of your clientele, Riva, have a certain level of, like, have a certain amount of cushion and pillow to -hmm. fall back on, right? They're paying, like, huge amounts for an MBA. Um, You have that cushion. A lot of other entrepreneurs, literally, if they don't make it, they, like, I've heard of entrepreneurs who used to cut down on meals a day to put Mm -hmm. that money into their company. Okay. And so we have like a huge cushion to fall back on the family business, for example. Um, we we should just go all out and be entrepreneurs, right? So, okay. Okay. yeah.
0: So I have a question here from Alok who's asking, how did you even know there was a market for a fantasy cricket specifically? You know, when you started out, there was no yeah, business. There was none. So what made you believe that there is really scope to make this into a, a unicorn?
1: So... First of all, I think very few people start the business saying that uh, we'll make this a unicorn, right? Mm -hmm. If you're starting to solve a problem anyway, you're just going to solve a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I also believe that unicorns should actually be like revenue unicorns. Um, Unicorns should be people who have like a a billion dollars of revenue. That's a real unicorn. Not
0: just a market. Not just a
1: vanity metric of like valuation, which can come with like crazy terms by VCs and... PEs which people don't understand, right? So, yeah. but that that part, let me answer the question, which is that we didn't know, we didn't know there was a market. Super Selector launched in early 2000 and had crashed and failed. So, there was already a company that had tried this at scale with ESPN Star and had failed. Okay. It was purely passion that said, that, Look, this should work in India. There are enough sports fans in India. And, um, you know, I funny story is that my dad took me to the top gaming. Uh, entrepreneurs in India at that time in 2008 to vet out my idea. And every one of them told me to, this idea is junk, go back home and go join your dad. Right? Okay. And turns out they were right. So we launched a season-long free-to-play fantasy game with ad-driven business model in 2008. Okay. And uh, we thought we're going to change India and change the world and be the next big company, etc. And it tanked. For years, we sp- for three years, we spent all our seed and angel and family money and had one lakh rupees of revenue to show for it. Wow. Okay. That's it. So it completely tanked. And then we pivoted like 20 times mm. till 2012, four years, we found the model that, you, that we work on today.
0: Okay. So we so didn't then- know the
1: market, we just adapt and learn.
0: That's good news for all the entrepreneurs who are watching because a lot of times people go through their first two failures and then they sort of give up. But yeah. you're saying don't give up, sort of stay the course and yeah. you'll pivot and you'll just sort of fine tune your model and make it. I yeah. have another question from uh, Pooja Modi. Uh, you had spoken about execution being key. So what do you think was unique in your execution style that helped you sustain and flourish
1: so, yeah, I mean, like, look, everyone has their own style. I believe that some of the things that worked for us was that we focused a lot on culture. Okay. So we built a company saying culture first, right? Hire the best people, get out of the way. is something that we really believed in, delegating, empowering people. And we said, look, if you're an A culture and a B skill set, we take that every day over an A, a skill set and a B culture. And because, you know, when you have people that have the same belief, same way of working, same cultural values, Mm -hmm. you tend to create a core team that just gets along, right? And that really changes the way you work. And so that culture focus, I believe, is something which was unique. And the second thing I would say was unique was that a lot of companies try to work on like that one big thing, one big change, right? So you'll work on like six months on a new feature. You revamp your design. You'll work on it for a year and launch it. From the starting, I think we are very focused on incremental changes. Okay, like a percent, a percentage point improvement in your numbers every day, and your company grows almost four x in a year, right? By 365 percent. If you take cumulative, that's over 400 um, hmm. percent. And that's the approach we took. How do we make a product just that little bit better every day, every, every week? Mm-hmm. rather than have these mega features. And that I think that A-B testing, experimentational framework approach, mm-hmm. and of course, as part of the culture, we had to literally drive it into the Indian culture that failure is the only way you learn. Mm-hmm. You don't learn through success, right? Mm-hmm. No one like if, like, you learn how to walk by falling a 100 times, right? You, you learn it. only through failure. And yeah. in India, unfortunately, most people like treat failure like a really taboo word. A taboo word, yeah. So you have to teach in- Indians, like literally hold them and say, say you failed. Right. Like people would li- literally like run experiments and say that, oh, here's why it succeeded, right? Because it's one point out of a hundred points worked. And we say, just say you failed and you're the 99 things I learned.
0: Right.
1: And so that's very important.
0: I have lots of thumbs going up and I have lots of hearts popping up for your response okay. to each one. So people like this. Uh, I have a question from Archana in Boston who's asking, sure. uh, was there anything about the Indian sports followers like the fans, like yeah. your customer base that has surprised you over time? What have you learned about your customer base?
1: I've learned that they're unbelievably predictable.
0: That will be predictable. Okay. Which is amazing,
1: right? Because okay. you always think that, you know, it's um, business and metrics are pretty unpredictable, right? When you look at sports and sports engagement, like our average consumer will come back to our app about 22 times a month and spend about 48 minutes a day on our app. And that's like clockwork, right? It doesn't, so because think of, think about the sports calendar, right? You have like IPL, World Cup, India playing away series, India playing home series, cricket, football, basketball, kabaddi, hockey. But the consumption of products is so predictable that if you can create that, your business becomes like exponentially better because then you can front load expenses with a 95% probability, only like a 5% error margin on like customer lifetime value. And so the one thing that's really surprised me is the predictability of a sports business. Wow. Which, okay. from the outside world, seems very volatile based on sports Absolutely. events. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, can you tell us, as, as for budding entrepreneurs, if I was going to look at any three metrics yeah. as I ran my company, what, yeah. would we, what would you say are the three foremost metrics that one must focus on?
1: Customer acquisition, cost like CAC what's the cost of acquiring one customer Okay. what's your customer lifetime value so how quickly do they pay you back and how long and then how much more time do you have to profit to make profit on them and the last one is your operational costs right so your fixed and operational costs what's and that becomes like that third point is super important in today's COVID-19 world yeah is that any company with like very high fixed costs oh, yeah. is dying, right? right. Hmm. And every company with like a huge amount of variable costs is able to navigate through these times. Sure. So I would say like CAC, CLV, and your fixed costs, if you may. The
0: cost of customer acquisition, customer yeah. lifetime value, yeah. and then fixed versus variable costs. That's right. Okay, great, thank you. Um, since you alluded to the COVID crisis, Uh, Would you mind just sharing with people who are also running businesses or who are just sort of nervous about what's going to happen to businesses, how at Dream 11 are you managing the crisis? I know the IPL got canceled, which is a really big deal for us. Yeah. Um, So as a business, what's affected you and how are you you navigating through this crisis?
1: Yeah. So um, I think it's uh, going back to the same point, Dream 11, we've been a super asset light, people light business. We've been focused purely on the platform play. So no inventory, no warehouses, no shipping, no delivery, no sales. We didn't even do ads, right? So we literally have no cost outside of one office with Mm -hmm. 300 people in it, right? And so that's our entirety of Dream 11. Wow, so completely
0: asset light, huh?
1: Yeah, like super asset light, which means that when COVID-19 hit us and when IPL got postponed, we were able to take out about 83% of our costs. The next day were gone. Wow. Just by putting a few switches off, right? Marketing, switch it off. Um, some of our contracts, our external work, consulting, switch it off. And we were able to go back down to like 17% of our costs. Okay, which so allows the first thing
0: us as a business you cut off were like A, your marketing expenses? Yeah, yeah. And, and then you said the consulting, any sort of... Like any uh,
1: kind of external cost, right? Your, the thing that you protect is like your people mm-hmm. and your company, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So everything
1: external just goes away immediately. Okay. But that's really important because if you're stuck with like infrastructure or assets or like different things like that, then there's not much you can do about that.
0: Okay. So you ra- basically you run an asset-light company. If possible. To- yeah. Run an asset-light yeah. company, cut off all your variable costs.
1: Yeah, because it's important. it's very, very tempting as you scale up to kind of like grab more more of those assets and build more and have more infrastructure to get that like 5% better margin. But if you can continue growing, but stay more towards a platform light model, it is, yeah. it is far, and, far better.
0: And since we're on the topic of uh, COVID, you know, a lot of our students are anxious they're kind of nervous about going to school versus staying on yeah,
1: and yeah keeping their of course.
0: so what would you recommend would you suggest that people should go on or you suggest
1: that best time to do an mba right the world is going to shit for the next one year mm-hmm. the, the jobs market is going to be terrible the next one year is all about keeping your job right right and no salary appraisals no increments um, potential salary layoffs. cuts actually all over the place, layoffs for sure. And uh, what better time to go and do an MBA than now? Like get that, get that one year or two years depending on your MBA. Uh, get that done, have that on your resume. Come back to a market which will be much stronger. Markets are always cyclical, right? So like, if you look at 2008, 2012, 2016, 2020. And so you know that if you come back like a year and a half later, this market is going to be on the upswing, right? So great time to go. And on that note, I'll, you know, great time to also go to, um, go to universities and go for MBA and pursue entrepreneurship there. Mm -hmm. Like there's no better time to pursue entrepreneurship when labor's cheap. When like now look at all the uh, advertising platforms, right? Everyone cut the ad budget first. That means that Google, Facebook, all the bidding ad platforms have now become cheaper for everyone that has money. Sure. So all your guerrilla marketing, growth hacking experiments are much, will get you much more bang for your buck today. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's no better time to start entrepreneurship than now. Okay. And
0: since we're on the topic of, uh, uh, who's this Lord Shoria? He, he just spoke about this. He just yeah. said that going to school is a good, it's a good time to go to school now because of the uncertainty in the economy. Hush, yeah. um, can you talk a little bit about uh, your MBA experience? And, you know, you, I, I remember you were already running Dream 11 when we spoke yeah. and we connected about, you know, you doing your MBA. So, yeah. how was the MBA experience for you? And how has that MBA translated into uh, some sort of tangible benefits as you have grown and scaled your business?
1: Yeah, it wasn't fun doing the applications while running a company. I as, remember I'm that. Sure, as I'm sure some of your students will tell you that applications like Eat Up Your Time and GMAT and all of that. Yeah. But, you know, you were, you were like behind me and kept pushing me and kept like pestering me till I got the application right and I crossed my GMAT scores that I wanted. Sure. And, um, you know, that got me into my dream school. So I got into Columbia Business School. I, I didn't even, you know, a lot of people ask me why I didn't apply to Stanford as well, right? I didn't apply to Stanford because I wanted to fill a gap. And the gap for me was as an engineering student, if I'm running a business, I didn't understand the difference between a PNL and a, you a know, cash flow statement and like credit and debit and like...
0: So accounting and finance which obviously... Yeah, like
1: and, and in India accounts receivable doesn't actually mean that they'll give you the money. Sure. Right? <laughs> right. So, so like all these are lessons you have to learn the hard way but I think the beautiful part about running a company and doing an MBA or doing entrepreneurship and MBA at the same time is that you can actually learn and apply in real time. And that's why I'm really thankful that you pushed me to get that MBA done. Because when I went to New York and Columbia Business School, I connected with this entire ecosystem of like VCs, Um, I did a lot of like entrepreneurship classes, I did a lot of accounting uh, classes I did a lot of classes about like proper finance classes talking about like how do people value you how do people value a company how do you build like a discounted cash flow right like how do you build this entire model that really helped because finally when you're going and pitching a business if you want to raise money you okay. need to be able to understand the language they are speaking
0: okay so you picked okay. up on hard skills you picked up on the network you picked up on an yeah. ivy degree so you are two ivy league degrees yeah uh, and of course leadership. having
1: like look whatever it uh, you know these ivy league schools and upenn and columbia have been b- part of both of them they don't help you as much in executing your idea right no. but they definitely help you with like getting introductions having people like actually meet you cuz sure. like if they but if they thing. see like yeah, that's right. If they see some kind of pedigree, then people are just a little, that little bit more open to saying, sure, come in and let me at least see what you have to say.
0: Sure. Right? It gets you It'll you through, get the, through door. the door. That's okay. exactly okay. right.
1: Right? Okay.
0: I have a question here from Kashvi Chaudhary who says, if you have one piece of advice to someone starting out, what would it be? I am 16. Am I too young? So, what do you have no. for 30
1: No. I don't know. They're definitely not too young. Never too, too, too young true. to start. Not at 16, not at 50. There's some entrepreneurs at 50, some at 16. Um, Entrepreneurship, I truly believe, and I'll just go back to that, is all about failing, right? The earlier you start, the more you can fail and not care, right? You don't have like, you don't have a family with kids to support and you're on your own. Today, start something. It doesn't work tomorrow. You can drop it. You can pivot. You can change. You can. So I would say like start as soon as you have an idea that you're like super, super passionate about. But that does. But that also means I still believe I'm, I'm. I'm still not from that school, where there's a school of thought that says that you know education doesn't matter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I've seen the first first hand. I've seen how my engineering degree and MBA degree yeah. have helped me a lot. Like whether yeah. it's talking to my engineering team, right, or talking to VCs, each has their own benefits. And so, if you're 16, please do make sure, like. I'm also not of that school of thought where you say like, make sure you get like a 4.0 GPA and be like A student all the way. Make sure you're at least a B student, right? But um, that education is very important. So don't do it at the price of entrepreneurship. Sure.
0: Okay, I have a, a question here. Actually, two, three people have asked this. Varsha, Chiara, how did you come up with the name Dream11? How How, how do you come up with names for your business?
1: So actually the name was pretty... It's a it's a pretty funny story. We thought of like a whole bunch of names as everyone does. And then um, I was sleeping in the night. And then I woke up at 4 a.m. And I said, Dream 11. So you dreamt the name Dream 11. I literally dreamt the name Dream 11. And I woke up at 4 a.m. I went to my computer and I saw that the domain name was available. And I bought it.
0: It was available?
1: It was available. And so Dream 11 also comes from the fact that Dream XI... Is a standard term used by people in sports to describe their dream team of eleven players in football or cricket, the okay. world's largest two sports. And so we were playing around with like dream team, dream fantasy, fantasy cricket hero, and a bunch of these things. And I said, hey, just one of dream eleven,
0: ah, okay.
1: and just random, like a little bit of a eureka moment. But but you know today, dream eleven is like more synonymous and has a bigger brand name but a lot of people need to realize that the the name isn't important google is spelled wrong right okay. amazon's the name of a it's not the name of a, like a brand is the name of a river
0: Brazilian river, river yeah. right Rainforest,
1: yeah right it doesn't matter what your what the name is facebook was a general term people use for like a paperback a book, of experience yeah. right um, WhatsApp is actually a little pretty weird name for a messaging app. So build a great product, build a brand people love, and the name will just get popular.
0: Okay. So you're very Shakespearean in that in that perspective. A little um, bit, maybe. Name? Okay, Terrific. I have a question here from a mother who says, how do we push youngsters? And what should youngsters do if their parents don't support? How do you still stand for what you believe?
1: Yeah, a lot of parents don't support it. Um, Unfortunately, the truth is that a lot of parents in India are still from the thing that, you know, be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, blah, blah, blah. And that's your way to success and get hired by a large MNC and then be successful. I think this is a slightly personal question. I was fortunate to have parents that just allowed me to pursue my dreams. Um, But this is something that you probably need to figure out and decide at a personal level. I can't, nobody can convince your parents, but maybe it's a little bit of give and take, right? I I worked with my dad for a year after coming back and he saw that I wasn't very happy doing like what he does. Right. And so I did tell him that I want to pursue this. And then for like six months to a year, I did both half time. Right. And then I gradually went into Dream Eleven full time. Mm. Right. So if I was to say from day one, I just want to do this, maybe, you know, he would be hurt. But he saw that I was like a hundred times more passionate than that. And he saw that there is a big market if I can figure it out. And I was 21. Mm. So look, that's why, that's where the earlier thing comes in. He was like, okay, what's the worst that will happen? He'll screw around with this for like three, four years. I'll
0: come back to you. And then yeah.
1: he'll come back saying that, okay, I was, you know, you were right and it's good. And if he does well, great. So it's like a win-win. Right. So, so, yeah.
0: So I have a question here from uh, Sudha Sharma. She's uh, actually someone very senior with uh, networks. Um, her question, because she has a child who's uh, about nine years old and turned nine yesterday, yeah. is Is it more important to, what is more important to become an entrepreneur? Education or experience? You know, because you come loaded with these two Ivy League degrees. Experience. And- sorry,
1: sorry, this might not float your boat but experience is more important than education for me for so yeah i would say experience is more important but education definitely helps but um, the experience that people have in the real world is far more helpful in entrepreneurship the education is very important in getting your basis basics right but like just because you do like five degrees doesn't mean you'll be uh, successful But people, you know, people who have no degrees can also be very good entrepreneurs.
0: Of course. Of course, you can be a successful entrepreneur. I mean, we have them all around us. Yeah. Um, It's just having the MBA or the formal education is always an insurance against...
1: uh, Yeah, I I think that's right. I think think the education is a big insurance. And so 99% of like entrepreneurs don't make it past a series B round, right? Mm. If you want to talk just probably from the tech point of view, right? Mm. Um, and so that's when that education really kicks in. You have something to fall back on and you can go and get still get a great job, possibly better because you tried something. And so that that I will hundred percent agree. That for the entrepreneurs that it doesn't work out for education is that is a trump card. Right. Is a trump card that gets you back
0: I have a question from Chani Jaffrey, who's also a venture capitalist. How do you handle people churn? People churn in startups. Do you have to yeah. sack people? Yeah. How often do you sack people?
1: Um, it's not like how often we sack. We run a very tight culture, and so what we do is that we have a three hundred and sixty feedback from all the people you work with, and anyone that's caused, and, and we rate them only on five attributes of our culture which is, do put our culture first. We have a nice line for it. Data, ownership, performance, users first, and transparency. And so these five attributes, you are rated by every peer and your managers or captains as we call them. If you score an aggregate of less than seven out of 10, strike one, every quarter you do this. So strike one, strike two, you're out. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's how we sack people. And so they know, it's a very clear thing that you know that you're scoring lesser than seven means that you're, if you don't improve, you're out. And so that's how we keep culture first. And that also helps a lot in attrition. Uh, because we're so culturally driven, and of course the fact that we're one of the largest startups in Bombay, yeah. and um, you know when you're the, we consciously made that decision to be a large fish in a medium pond rather than be a small fish in a like, large pond like Bangalore. Um, It also gives you a lot of competitive advantage in hiring in Bombay Mm -hmm. and where people will go if they leave us. And so our, you know, Bangalore attrition is usually like 25%, 20,
0: 25%. Our
1: attrition is about 2 to 3%. Oh, wow. So we literally have very, very low attrition because of our culture standards.
0: And I do have someone from your team, uh, Shiv, who says, I love working at Dream11. So clearly you're doing something well for your team members. I have a question from Arhant Bhubna. I am sixteen. What kind of coding courses do you recommend I do to set up my own online gaming company?
1: Um, there's a whole bunch of like online courses, right? There's no one one correct course. Like Stanford has a whole bunch of courses. There's like in today's world, the amount of online courses, whether General Assembly, Stanford. Um, but what do you rec-
0: do you think? So, in your personal case. How yeah. much of the coding as a founder do you need to know, do you need to understand, like you run a tech business, how much yeah. tech do you need to know to set
1: up your own online gaming company? Minimal at best. Right? Minimal at best. You need, to, you need to understand like basics of engineering which is also helpful but is not a necessity. Like there's enough people who come purely from like a BCOM degree let's say and haven't coded ever that build tech companies. It's okay. Um, so as a founder you're never going to have all the skill sets you need Right. The whole, the key is in hiring people around you and trying to be the dumbest person in the room, right, is that if you can hire the best people and just manage them and get out of their way, they will have all the skill sets you need. Your job is only to have that cohesiveness in the company, the culture, the mission, the vision, and make sure everyone's on the same direction and the same, like, railway track, right? Hmm. So um, it's it's very helpful to have some kind of engineering background for a tech company, but it's not a necessity. Mm-hmm. And you can just do any classes you'd like. Um, anything that there's like a million classes on entrepreneurship and on tech, on coding, and all okay. of it.
0: Okay. I have two, three people from your team who says he is my idol. Working with him since the last seven years. Testifying to your 2% attrition. Who is that? Sagar, Stop lying. <laughs> Sagar Kattar <laughs> saying happy to work with Harsh, sir, at Dream11. I have a question from Saurabh Samdani from Rajasthan, yeah. who asks, uh, "What is was it easy for you to convince investors?" And someone else also was asking about investors. Uh, he oh, no. says, "What kind of revenue margin does an angel investor look for?" So maybe talk a little bit about you know the investor journey. What do they look for? What are the toughest questions you've been asked by investors?
1: So my investor journey is like a very interesting one. Um, in 2012, we, like I said, 2008, we started. 2012, we pivoted to what you see today. 2012, I also like went to look for VC funding in India. I was told that fantasy sports is like a foreign concept. It'll be easier to raise money abroad in America where people understand fantasy sports. And so that's also when I went for my Columbia degree, I spent a large amount of time fundraising in the US. So... Two years and about 150 no's later, I was told that um, if you're an Indian company.
0: Did you get 150 rejections?
1: um, At least, yeah.
0: At least 150 rejections. Okay, Sarabh, I hope you're hearing that. 150 people said no to him.
1: Yeah, so two years later, I understood from the US that if you're an Indian company with Indian users, US is not the right place to raise money. Hmm. You actually raise money back in India. Um, which was exactly contradictory to what I'd heard two years back. And uh, finally, I finished my Columbia Business School degree, went back to India. And uh, two and a half years after trying to raise money, finally got my Series A term sheet. We, um, It was supposed, I won't take names, but it was supposed to be like a one month deal closure, which as an early entrepreneur, you have no idea about how long these things take, right? That ended up becoming a six-month timeline with um, the investor backing out last minute and then we starting the process again and getting new investors in. And so it took six or seven months to get that first money in the door. And that's a crazy time, right? Like you're trying to run a business as well on the side. Mm-hmm. And that's where a co-founder really plays a big role. Um, I would strongly advise anyone looking at entrepreneurship, please don't do it alone as far as possible, stick between two to three co-founders.
0: Two to three co-founders. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: Not, not more than three, because then that becomes a problem later on. But either two co-founders or three co-founders is a sweet spot. Okay. Um, Doing it alone.
0: Since you, since you touched upon co-founders, I get asked this question a lot of times and I want to hear your perspective on it. How do you pick a co-founder? You know, what do you look for in a co-founder?
1: Yeah, so I'll just finish the earlier sentence is that Series A bombed and took us seven months. Series B, same thing. Took us another seven months. um, And Series C was the first time that the person who wrote us the term sheet actually wired us the money three months later. Wow. Okay. And so fundraising, what I can tell you is that's the one thing that will never be easy. It'll Mm. always be hard at every point of your life cycle. And so Always be mentally prepared to do that. And you have to do it yourself. Please don't get an investment bank to do a series A or series B. Mm. Do it yourself. You will learn, you know, those 150 no's. Also, yeah. I walked away with, in each of those rooms with 150 reasons why my business isn't attractive. But it's not just attractive for a VC. It, it's like, what can I do to make the business better? Just stand alone. Right. I learned 150 things about my own business to make it better for free it's free advice
0: it's, it's so, amazing how your attitude is so humble you know you took the rejections as a learning it's opportunity
1: a, it's so. a lot easier to say that today when you're going through it it sucks like crazy right but yeah. that's where the family part comes in and and you know yeah, they've got to they've got to continue being that pillar of support
0: yeah but you you manage to pick up on nuances of your business and continuously fine-tune the business Yeah, Uh, I know we are over time.
1: Yeah, as Uh, a co-founder, I think just find find someone that agrees with your cultural thinking, with your mission and vision, and complements you. Very very important, right? Can't be a clash of egos that you wanna do the same thing. The understanding has to be very clear on who does what, and who takes the call on what, right? Because everywhere you need to take a call.
0: Of areas and responsibilities. But belief in the same mission. That's right. Okay. Um, I'm going to sneak in a last question. This is a home question from my little nephew, Arsh. Hey.
1: Um,
0: so he asks, I'm eight years old and have great passion and knowledge about cricket. Can you allow me to also participate in Dream 11?
1: Well, as a user, no. Uh, <laughs> we have 18 years and above. But as, a, as an intern, our doors are always open. Every, oh, for show. every cricket fan.
0: He's going to Especially have a with the Dream 11. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, he can come in anytime. He, um, if it's your nephew, I'm sure that he has some of that DNA flowing in. Oh, I
0: hope
1: and, so. Yeah.
0: And I have some uh, amazing remarks. I just want to read out a couple of things. Alok says your biography should be called 150 rejections later.
1: No, no, that's You know, you'll be surprised at how many founders go through the, a similar story, right? It's right. years of rejections. And it's so the, the funny part, I'll get some brownie points while we're ending this, is that um, my wife actually rejected me for four years until she agreed to go out with me <laughs> from 2001 to 2000, and, 2000 to 2004. And so I think I, I'll give some credit to her to like train me for years of rejections by people. <laughs> I,
0: I think both of you are building our confidence in the fact that 150 directions later you will find your unicorn so <laughs> we're all going to stay on course I have other people saying thank you so much uh, this was truly from the heart thank you Harsh so inspirational yeah. Harsh some people want to see the transcript of the entire interview helpful insights excellent insights uh, he is fabulous so I have lots of great remarks for you so thanks Harsh thanks so much yeah. thank you, this, uh, thanks
1: everyone <laughs> Stay and, home. Uh, stay
0: safe. Gonna end in the words of Steve Jobs. Obviously, stay hungry and stay foolish. Yeah. And our next guest on Tuesday is going to be Kanish Surka, uh, improv artist and stand-up comedian. I'm sure a lot of you follow her and have seen a lot of her shows on Netflix. So we're going to pivot from uh, fantasy sports to something completely different. And thank you all for being a fabulous audience. We had some amazingly intelligent questions. And hope to see everyone on Tuesday. Thanks, 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 thanks. everyone. So Take thank care. You guys. Thank you.